1: In my new book with Mark Tim, mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I have a very special guest, Kelly Richards who works at the intersection of the tech, music, and entertainment industries, working to advise leaders like Steve, the late, great Steve Jobs, Michael Jackson, Paul McCartney, Prince, Alan Cohen, Alan Weiss, and many, many others. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, Seth. But to be clear, some of those people were my advisors.
1: <laughs> Fair um,
2: enough. It works, it works both ways, though, doesn't it?
1: I, I am sure sometimes we learn more from the people we work with, even though we're the ones that are supposed to be helping them.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right. So let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Uh, I was always someone who from a young age knew exactly what I wanted to be doing and just followed the compass. You know, I uh, was watching George Martin behind the Beatles and at eight years old, I said, whatever that man's doing, that's what I want to do. And my career path, uh, was cemented in terms of the convergence of innovation and creativity from then on. It took a few detours. I wanted to be a record producer like George Martin, but I couldn't get arrested as, uh, as a woman I- at that point. And even now I can count on two hands how many women record producers there are. But I, uh, you know, I wound up just being, I had a lot of moxie and, uh, grit. And I basically just, uh, After I got out of college, uh, studied recording engineering in high school. And after I got out of college, I went down to LA and knocked on doors and wound up working under the Capitol Records Tower as a young A&R exec, helping to manage the talent on the roster and sign new artists. And then um, fate called me back home to Cupertino in Silicon Valley where I grew up and Apple was the Wonka factory in the backyard. Steve had been my mentor from the age of 16. When I approached him and asked if he would be my mentor, uh, I wound up birthing and launching and running the earliest focus at Apple on music and entertainment. And that's where everything kind of really took off from there.
1: What, on the flip side, you've had amazing mentors. Why do you think that's been so important? And what do you think some of your biggest takeaways were?
2: Well, I always wanted to work with best and brightest. I always surrounded myself with people like that. I always saw my, you know, people said they saw me like that. So I, I, it was important to me to work at the cutting edge of where things were heading. Um, innovation and driving change and new ways to distribute and monetize content, create it, of course, um, have always been passions for mine, uh, of mine. And also making sure the content creators had the right tools to engage with their audiences and and all of that. That just always been a natural thing for me. And so um, I gravitated towards really bright, tech savvy innovators. It's just kind of aligned with that early vision of wanting to meld those worlds. What does
1: differentiate you? How do you get in the door with people at that type of level?
2: Uh, Some of it's fate, some of it's by design. Um, I, I was in a, an environment that was very early days. And so, for example, in my time at Apple, uh, I needed to reach out to forward-thinking, tech-savvy, progressive artists who were using technology so that they were use, make, to make sure they were using Apple's tools and to make sure we were promoting and talking about that to encourage others to adopt, adopt the same tools. So that, you know, it was opportunistic sometimes I had channeled my producer passion into producing award shows by that point as well. So I wound up building a lot of artist relationships that way. Um, Sometimes it was just me wanting to make that relationship happen and looking for common threads and actually reaching out and encouraging those relationships to be fostered, like with Steve, for example, when I was just 16. You
1: have accomplished so much and worked with so many people. What do you think, where do you see those industries going? Where, where, where is the puck going to? What do you think are some of the trends that are coming next?
2: In terms of the convergence of yeah. Hollywood and Silicon Valley effectively? Absolutely. There's so much to say about that. It's a very dynamic convergent space. And by now they're pretty converged and integrated. Um, Twenty years ago, not so much. So, uh, actually, thirty years ago, not so much. Twenty years ago, they were starting to, to do that. Uh, you know, for example, we see a lot of activity just this week. We've had some seismic shifts this year uh, with uh, Discovery and Warner Media coming together. That's uh, a pretty big deal because AT and fought really hard to get Warner Media under its auspices few years ago, now they're effectively spinning it out. The reason for that is because uh, both parties are late to the streaming uh, world in terms of mass adoption, and they felt like their best chance was to become a bigger juggernaut combined to offset the entrenchment that Netflix, Netflix Disney, and Apple, Apple Plus have started to, um, to do. So there's kind of a fight for consumer wallet and mindshare going on. And and that's what resulted in that that activity this week. Ultimately, I think we're going to have consolidation and shakeout, as we always do, when new trends emerge. And in a couple of years' time, consumers are going to not want to be paying between $599 and $999 per channel. This is why the consolidators uh, and the bigger players like Comcast existed in the first place. So you're going to see a pushback from consumers who want all the content, but don't want to have to pay those a la carte rates anymore. And we'll see a consolidation. So that's one, just one specific example. So we, you, you brought it up. So let's keep
1: going on that topic. So if you look at You know, you will date it further back than I will. In my perception, it started, you know, when you had to subscribe to HBO because you wanted to see the shows that were only on HBO. Exactly. And now it's everywhere. It's, ooh, if I want to watch the Reese Witherspoon news show with my wife, I got to get Apple TV. But then I got to get Amazon, I got to get Amazon Video to get their originals. Right. Everyone's become their own movie and television production studio. Correct.
2: And I don't think that's sustainable in the long term. I think there's going to be some pushback from consumers where someone will emerge like a new form of a Comcast or maybe it is Comcast and other cable operators that say, you know what? This is why we existed to begin with. It's our model to take back and refine and improve on. They
1: wanted the 500 channels all in one place. So you only paid one monthly bill. I think you're absolutely right. I think your prediction is spot on in terms of the consumer pushback of, I don't want to pay 10 bucks a month for 10 different places to watch the 10 shows I want when it should be one network on everything.
2: Yeah. What else? We'll see, we'll see how the pendulum swings on that one, Seth. And, and another, another uh, very good example is what happened um, uh, uh, with, uh, that's my turn of thought, I apologize. There's so many things I want to share. VR. VR. I wrote an article in um, a venture capital magazine a few years ago, five years ago to be exact, as to why 2016 would not be the year VR would take off. And guess what? Five years later, it still hasn't. We launched VR with QuickTime at Apple in 1993, almost 30 years ago. So there's a lot of problems with VR, with technology, form factor, price, content. um, And those issues have taken a long time to work through the system and we're not done yet.
0: Yes, I'm tied
2: to my alma mater. I'm very loyal to Apple products. But I believe it's going to be Apple that causes the, the the real shift in a mass adoption there, or at least one of the big players in that space.
1: Right. They certainly have a very critical mass
2: of user base. Obviously, well, and, then, and, you know, Google cl- came out with something called Google Glass a few years yep, back, you which may recall. Which didn't quite take off the it way it was supposed there. to. But, Facebook uh, finally dropped,
1: dropped the price of the Oculus Rift to get more adoption, but it wasn't enough.
2: The, exactly right. But the vision I see was personified in a Mission Impos- an early Mission Impossible movie in the series with Tom Cruise, where he was scaling a big, tall mountain and wearing these glasses that were very sexy, very James Bond, that had a picture-in-picture window that was VR in it. I think that Apple, it's Apple's game to take that on and actually refine that form factor and that capability and have something really sexy, really cool you know, full feature compliant. People don't get headaches watching the content. You see, what, uh, it's just my prediction. I have no inside knowledge about that, but I think that that's a, a trend we can watch out for. Well, that eliminates my next inside question. So
1: I, I appreciate you addressing that in advance. Do you think in your prediction, in your speculation, is that because Apple has such a huge user base already, is that a add-on to, it's just a the device goes inside Holds your phone like they have now, or do you think that's a whole nother headset like the Oculus Rift? I say, I think
2: the headset becomes glasses. Really sexy, cool, lightweight glasses where the VR technology is built in. I don't have any knowledge of that, I swear to God. But that's my vision for what could come out of Apple as a next big thing product. And then let's talk about how that obviously affects the content marketplace.
1: Because if we go back to the earlier topic of all of these companies now producing their own original content is that, forget the consumer side of not wanting to pay for six different services. Is that sustainable that all of a sudden they're all movie and TV studios? And how do they make the, how does that content then get delivered if there's a
2: VR device that actually changes the game? Well, yeah, so that is what ha- would happen is. There would be every time there's a new device, there's an opportunity for everybody to develop content for it.
1: Right, which hasn't so much happened in the VR space to this extent. There's no killer app. There's and I'll no- tell you
2: why. I'll tell you why. I mean, I, I was working with Intel a few years ago. They had a, a VR solution that they, after the work we did trying to pitch it to um, record labels and film studios, we made the rounds in Hollywood, uh, and everybody said, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for this experience that we're not even sure consumers want? And that was telling. So Intel pivoted and took that technology into the sports world instead. So, you know, again, um, the content issue is paramount. Nobody's going to pay for uh, a device that has no content and not a lot of it. And the content owners are waiting to see who's going to underwrite the content development for that platform in a way that everybody feels like there's going to be mass adoption and plenty of money to be made.
1: You have seen so many changes in the industry throughout your career. What do you think has been uh, you know, your biggest challenge and what did you learn from it?
2: Well, I think the biggest challenge is simply that I've always lived my career. The whole time I've been in business, uh, 30, 30 plus years, inside a crystal ball waiting for the world to catch up. This is the curse of the visionary. And Steve and I talked about it a lot because he had that problem too. When you can see where things are heading, it's fabulous, but you can't pay your mortgage with that. And it can take decades before the world catches up. Todd Rundgren and I built the first artist direct-to-fan platform in 1995. We called it Patronet. Fast forward to current times, we see patreon yep. get the similarity in the name worth 4 billion dollars for basically making happen what we envisioned all those years ago it's called market timing this is the one piece of the equation that has so many startups in the boneyard they had the right idea but the market timing was off and you can't get arrested if the market timing's wrong
1: you have worked with so many amazing leaders visionaries and entrepreneurs Who's an ideal client for you
2: now? Those very people, innovators, entrepreneurs, uh, creators of content, um, but typically, ideally, people that already have some funding to really help us accelerate and scale with the right relationships, the right strategies, and, and the right game plan to excel in the marketplace. See, if I get involved in something too early, my insights and connections are often wasted. Because we can't, nope. There has to be a certain level of momentum created before that cast of characters and influencers that I have access to will will want to engage and will make sense to engage them. Your passion is obvious. What do you like best about what you do? I like living uh, at the edge of the spear. I like uh, bringing new innovations and new opportunities to to consumers to to create new experiences that haven't existed before that really light people up and make and make their lives easier and more fun.
1: I know that you you said you like to live on the edge of the sphere. How do you keep that edge sharp? How do you keep that crystal ball clear? How are you staying on top of the cutting edge so that you can make the, that, that foresight
2: 2020 or as close as it can get? By being plugged in and immersed in the space and staying abreast of trends and deals and players in the, in the whole marketplace, the whole ecosystem. And you know, I, I basically live within this world. So I keep my eyes and ears open. I keep my senses sharp, keep my radar up. And I keep engaging with people that I find are dynamic and really uh, interesting who are gonna make a difference.
1: If you could give advice to an 18 year old today, what would you tell them?
2: I'd say pursue your passion. If you have a sense, if you're being guided by your intuition about what it is you really want to do, what your zone of genius is, where you're headed, don't let anybody sway you from that. Pursue it with full vigor and grit. What would you say is the one and, thing? And then let me add, let me add my, a second piece of advice, if I might, Seth. Yeah, please. If you don't know what that is and you don't have clarity about where you're headed, for heaven's sakes, do what you can to find a mentor that can help you see yourself in ways you can't can help you figure that out. Could be a parent, could be a teacher, could be somebody you admire in the industry like I did uh, and just sort of go for it.
1: What's one thing you wish you had known that you
2: know now from when you started? I wish I'd known that I, my crystal ball was cracked, that it was right and I could trust it, but that I would not be in control of how fast my visions would actually come to market and be seen and embraced by, by people on a mass scale.
1: Why? Because for
2: example, when I worked with Napster when I first left Apple, um, 70 million people voted that they wanted to have access to their content on their own terms. And it was a game changer, but it would take another 20 years before that, that whole mindset would really shift to enable people to have what they said they wanted because of all the impediments and all the things that had to get knocked down in the way.
1: What do you think is a common myth um, about the music, tech, and entertainment industries that
2: you would like to debunk? A common myth? I don't think I've ever been asked that question, Seth. Um, uh, Can you you reframe the question for me? Sure.
1: Sure. So let's do it a different way. What do you believe that other people don't know is true yet?
2: I, I, it's hard for me to answer that without, without tying it to a trend. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll say something about live streaming of concerts. Perfect. Which was the only way we could deal, the only way we could have any kind of music experience in 2020 and well into 2021. Um, so a whole bunch of cottage industry tech solutions have cropped up to enable that to be the case. Now comes the question as we move forward in the concert space, and even live sports, how full bore will we go back to full 100% occupancy live entertainment and sports? Or will we keep some hybrid functionality? Will there be customers and fans that don't choose to go back into crowded environments at all? These are big questions we don't have answers to yet. We're still coming out of the cocoon with live entertainment at all with X amount of X percentage that keeps changing of an audience. What else do you want to share that I haven't thought to ask you yet? One thing you haven't asked me about is the other part of what I'm doing these days, which I'm, which I really do want to touch on because it's so important to me. And that is my role as a trusted advisor to successful high achievers, not limited to, but often obviously including tech innovators and content creators, musicians and and others. I love working with these people because, believe it or not, as bright and forward-thinking and innovative as they all are, the more successful they've gotten, the lonelier it gets at the top. And they need people like myself, in my opinion, to come in and help them uh, work through their mindset challenges. They're holding them back from the next phase of success. Work through um, uh, uh, actual opportunities on how to reinvent themselves and their brand. So, that their families are included in their uh, new vision. They can have a holistic lifestyle as opposed to either just being on the road all the time and losing their families or being able to have, you know, uh, 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 having to wait till they're on their second marriage with their second family before they get it right, you know? So, these are things that are very important to me to help people like that transform the quality of their lives in the next phase so that they have more alignment with what really matters. And they can actually have it all. They don't have to compromise or sacrifice. Might have all the money in the the world and be miserable and unhappy because they don't have real fulfillment.
1: Absolutely, well, it's been, we know your time's incredibly valuable. We greatly appreciate you spending some with us. It's been an absolutely incredible interview for our viewers and listeners who wanna learn more about what you're doing, who might fall into one of those categories. Where is the best place for them to go to learn more?
2: Probably to my own website, Seth, which is simply kellyrichards.com. Kelly with an I, Richards with an S. They'll find a a whole rabbit hole's worth of uh, content information right there.
1: All right. This has been Seth Green with Kelly Richards. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. been my privilege. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done?